Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. Well, today is a very special Sunday because we are launching our Love Life initiative. We've announced it and we've talked about it the last few weeks, but today is launch day of the Love Life initiative. Uh, On January 22nd, 2019, the 46th anniversary of the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade uh, ruling, the Reproductive Health Act bill was passed and signed into law in our state. And what this bill means is that you can legally abort your baby all the way up to birth. This bill also takes away the rights of the unborn, meaning if a pregnant mother and their child, they are killed, Uh, the perpetrator cannot be charged for the murder of the baby any longer. The the unborn has lost all of his or her rights. Uh, And when the bill was initially passed, I remember feeling sick to my stomach when I saw how excited some of our government officials were. In fact, our governor ordered the Freedom Tower spire to be lit up in pink that evening to celebrate the occasion. And what's ironic about him doing that is that right underneath, right next to it at the 9-11 memorial, uh, 11 uh, pre-born children are memorialized right there that were killed during the 9-11 attacks. I remember in the days that followed the bill being passed, I prayed and told God that I did not know what to do, but I knew at this point I needed to do something. A short time after that prayer, I attended a pastor's gathering, and during that gathering, a man got up and started to share about a pro-life ministry called Love Life that he started in North Carolina and that God was leading him to launch in New York City. He talked about how Love Life mobilizes churches of all denominations together to pray, to go and pray, to be present in front of abortion clinics. He talked about seeing at that time 1,200 mothers who were walking into the abortion clinic that had chosen life because the church was present and praying up to that point. It's even more now. But at that moment, he had seen in his ministry in North Carolina 1,200 mothers choose life that were on that day scheduled for an abortion and they were going to the abortion clinic. Many even went into the abortion clinic and came out and decided to choose life. As he was sharing these stories, I just knew in my heart that I needed to get involved. I just knew in my heart that love life was an answer to prayer. And the cool thing is, is that Justin Reeder, who is the CEO of Love Life and the man that was speaking that day, he is here today and he is going to, later on in the service, he is going to share the vision of Love Life and he's going to give us more details about what this initiative means for our church. And so... After I heard him speak that day, I got to know him a little bit, and actually uh, he's became a great brother to me, a great friend to me, and I, I truly believe that God sent him here from North Carolina to be a facilitator of a great move of God. And I believe that as the church unites and mobilizes and prays, okay, I, I believe this is so much bigger than just the the arena of abortion and the pro-life and all of those things. I believe that this is going to usher in a major revival in our city. I believe that this is going to usher in a major movement of God's presence, of God's spirit. I believe that there are going to be so many effects 
because we are mobilizing the church together to pray and seek the face of God. And so I adopted a week. I, I volunteered our church to adopt a week to go and pray in front of the busiest Planned Parenthood in New York City. And so uh, you're going to hear more about that, and, and Justin's going to come up and talk about more of the nuts and bolts and, and all of that stuff. Uh, but today, I want to share with you a message that I have titled, We Are More Than Pro-Life. We are more than pro-life. And I just, you know, th- a kind of, this kind of message is not easy to preach because the subject is very controversial, because depending on what your background is, depending on what your history is, depending on what your story is, this can be a very difficult message to hear. But uh, as a pastor, there are times where I have to say things that are difficult to say. There are times during the week where I prepare a message and it's easy to prepare. I mean, obviously there's work in preparing, but emotionally it's easy. And then there are weeks where it is agonizing. And this week was one of those weeks where it was agonizing because I don't want anybody to take what I'm saying the wrong way. But I truly believe that God has put something on my heart to say, and I have to say it. Amen. And so my goal with this message today is to share with you God's heart for the unborn. I want to stir your heart to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. I want to stir your heart to action. I want to stir your heart to prayer. I want to stir your heart to do more, just like my heart has been stirred to do more. From the moment that that bill was passed back in January to when I heard Justin first lay out the vision of love life, my heart has been stirred, and my desire is that your heart would be stirred like mine. And many of you know that this pro-life issue is deeply personal to me and my family because my wife is an abortion survivor. And I've shared this with you before, but for those of you who are new, uh, my wife's mother, she was pregnant with Priscilla at the age of 16, and she went to an abortion clinic and received two saline injection uh, abortion to, to have an abortion on my wife. For those of you who do not know what a saline injection abortion is, it's when a doctor inserts a long needle into the mother's abdomen and injects a saline solution into the sac of amniotic fluid surrounding the baby. The baby is poisoned by swallowing the salt and baby's skin is completely burned away. It usually takes an hour to kill the baby. After the child dies, the mother goes into labor and expels the dead baby. Saline injections have been outlawed in some countries because of the risks to the mother. My mother-in-law had two of these injections just to make sure her baby was dead. And after she left that abortion clinic, as she was driving away, she felt like she made a huge mistake. She felt like she was not supposed to do this. And she cried out to God and she said, God, would you reverse what I just did? And by the grace of God, He reversed it, and my wife is alive today. And she's the mother of my two beautiful children. And uh, my wife has always had a heart for this space. She's always been very outspoken about pro-life, about the unborn and all of those things. And I've always supported her, but ever since that bill was passed, I just felt like I needed to step up and do more. I felt like I couldn't just function the way I was functioning. I couldn't just be supportive. I had 
to do something as well. And so I just feel like this is deeply personal to me and to my family. And it's more than just, it's not politics for me. It's not, it has nothing to do with politics for me. It has to do with life. It has to do with the unborn. It has to do with what God's heart is. And my wife is so bummed that she couldn't be with us today. But like I said, both of us are in this pro-life space and ministering to the mothers, ministering to the unborn. And so she is actually at a conference. She works with a crisis pregnancy home in the Bronx. And so some of the leaders of the home, they're actually going to a conference in Louisiana that has to do with crisis pregnancy homes. And so she flew out this morning, but she so wished she could be with you today. But she actually has the boots on the ground doing the work in carrying on this vision of God's heart for the unborn. And so it's almost like I'm preaching about it and she's actually living and walking it out. So it's pretty beautiful how God kind of aligned these things together. Amen. And so this is why I am passionate about the protection of the unborn. I am so grateful that my wife survived, but unfortunately this is not the fate of everyone. And so as a church, we need to wake up to the reality of the situation our nation is facing, our neighborhoods are facing, our families are facing. We need to wake up to what is truly happening. So I want to take a look at the Gospel of Luke. We're going to find our text in the Gospel of Luke this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures today, but I want to start here. So we're going to be in Luke chapter number one, and we're going to read verse number 15. In this first chapter, John the Baptist, who was the cousin of Jesus, his birth was being foretold by the angel of the Lord to his father, Zacharias, who was a priest in the temple. And the angel says this to Zacharias in Luke 1 and 15. For he, talking about John the Baptist, will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. You see that? He will be filled with the Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. This passage highlights an important scriptural idea that is woven throughout Scripture, and it's this. God considers the baby in the womb human. God considers the baby in the womb human. Listen to this passage of Scripture. The angel tells Zacharias that his baby will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the mother's womb. If God viewed what was in Elizabeth's womb nothing more than a clump of cells, why would he fill him with his spirit? The the truth is that it is because God considers his creation human at conception, and that is why he said something like this. Let's continue reading in this chapter and look at what happens when Elizabeth who is John the Baptist's mother, is six months pregnant now. So fast forward six months, uh, she's six months pregnant, and Mary, who is just a few weeks pregnant with Jesus, goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth at her home, and here's what happens, here's the interaction. So starting with verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Did you hear that? The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Verse 43, And how it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. 
I want you to see something here. Luke writes that as Elizabeth sees Mary and hears her voice, that her baby leaps inside of her womb. The writer here is clearly communicating that this is not a clump of cells in Elizabeth's womb or simply an embryo, but what is inside of Elizabeth is a living, breathing baby created in the image of God leaping inside of her belly. The same filling of the Spirit that has happened to you and I was the same filling of the Spirit that happened to Elizabeth and the baby in her womb while she was six months pregnant. Think about that. Think about the ramifications of that. John the Baptist, while inside his mother's womb, was aware that God was in the room. He was aware of the presence of God in the room. When Mary stepped in the room and she started talking, he was aware that the King of Kings was inside of Mary's womb. And when he became aware, he leapt for joy inside of her womb. Something else that's pretty amazing about this passage is that Luke uses the same word for baby, the Greek word brephos. He uses the same Greek word for talking about John the Baptist inside the womb that he uses in Luke chapter 2 and verse 12, talking about Jesus in the manger outside of the womb. To God, there is no distinction. Okay, You are a human inside the womb just as you are a human outside of the womb. The beginning of human life is absolutely amazing. There is nothing like it. The only being in all of the universe who keeps reproducing and then living forever in the image of God is man. In Genesis 1.27, God tells us that he created man in his own image. Male and female, he created us in his image. Image And then in Genesis 5.3, it tells us that Adam had a son in his own likeness and his own image. This was to show that the image and likeness of God is passed on from generation to generation to generation. It wasn't just the first two humans that were created in the image of God. It's everybody that came after Adam and Eve that are also created in the image and likeness of God. And then in Genesis 9.6, after the flood, where God wiped out everyone besides Noah and his family because of the wickedness of humanity, he says this, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. Even after all of the sinfulness that man was committing, to the point that God judged the wickedness of the world by sending a worldwide flood to destroy the earth, man still retained the image of God. Damaged, distorted, and flawed, but genuinely real. In the New Testament, in James chapter 3 and verse 9, he tells us that with our tongue we bless the Lord, and with our tongue we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. When human, begin, when human life begins, so does the image of God. Here's what I've observed. Human beings have a unique relationship with God that is not shared with the rest of the animal kingdom. Some people don't understand that, but it's the absolute truth. And by the way, Lion King was a made-up story, okay? <laughs> just, just so you, if you're wondering or if you're questioning that, Lion King was a made-up story. It might just be me, but I don't think that any of the animals in our earth are worried about eternity, I don't think any of the animals, the dogs, the cats, the zebras, the lions, I don't think they're worried about what happens to their soul once they die. Right. I, I, don't think the, I don't think the bears and the cats and the birds are wondering why bad things happen to good people. I don't think they're worried about retirement planning. I don't know. 
It might just be me, but I don't think they're worried about retirement planning. We are unique in this world that we are able to function, think, and create on a level that is higher than any other created being on the face of the earth. God gave humans the order to fill the earth and subdue it, to have dominion over the birds and the animals. There's a reason, okay, that lions are bigger, stronger, and faster than humans, but they don't rule the earth. Humans do. Okay? There's a reason for that, because God put it inside of us to have dominion over the earth. We think on a level higher than anybody else in the animal kingdom. We have a soul and a spirit, and there is a moral and spiritual component in us that is not in the rest of creation. It's just not there. I wanted to talk about that because according to the Bible, the image of God begins in the womb. Psalm 119, starting with verse 13, probably the most powerful passage of Scripture when it comes to God's heart for the unborn. Verse 13 says, talking, it's David talking about God. Okay, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. The Bible is crystal clear about when life begins. God, using biological means that he put in place called pregnancy, knits us together in our mother's womb, meaning he is overseeing the formation of his creation. Okay? Not only that, he has written down the things that he has called us to do before we ever do them. Okay, that passage tells us right there, before we ever have our first cry, before we ever take our first step, before we ever exit our mother's womb, God has already planned and purposed and called us to do things that he set into motion before the foundation of the earth because God is not confined to time like you and I are. And so before we were ever conceived, God already had something to do for us. And every aborted baby has their destiny cut short. Science comes along and confirms what the Bible shows us. We had, uh, when, when uh, Boston, my eight-year-old son, and Avia, my six-year-old daughter, when they were, uh, when Priscilla was only a few weeks pregnant, we went and had ultrasounds done. We went to the doctor's office with Boston and the uh, midwife uh, with my daughter and did ultrasounds. And so what they would do would put this Doppler instrument up on her belly and they would like move it around and, and then finally we would start to be able to hear the heartbeat. And that was one of the most amazing things that I've ever encountered and experienced in my entire life. It was a moving experience to, to know that, that out of my flesh and blood, there were, there, there, God was creating and forming and fashioning something, someone inside of my, my wife's belly. Even though they were just the size of a kidney bean, I could still hear their heartbeat. It's such an amazing, amazing experience. And science and t- technology, they've gone even a step further now with the 4D ultrasounds where you can see your baby so clearly inside the womb and you can hear the baby. It's just 
so amazing where science and technology have, have taken us when it comes to uh, pregnancy and birth and all of those things. Uh, think about this. By week 10 of a pregnancy, all of the bodily organs are formed in baby. By week 10. By week 14, the baby can cry as their vocal cords are developed. They may even start sucking their thumbs. By week 20, baby can hear and it may even respond to sounds. What we see is that early on, the baby is developing and able to feel. We have a beautiful video that uh, my brother-in-law uh, made for us uh, when Boston was born. It was of me giving Boston his first bath. And, uh, and so he was probably an hour old, right? And I was giving him a bath and uh, he was obviously crying. Who wouldn't be crying? They were in the womb for nine months, just warm and, and all, you know, warm and toasty and all that stuff and protected. Now he's out in the, in the earth and all these people are staring at him. And, and, and this, this, uh, the, the, this Indian guy that he's, you know, he's heard his voice, but he's never seen. He's like touching him all over the place and splashing water on him and all that. And, and he starts to cry. He starts to cry hysterically, and I'm giving him a bath, and I get through that. And then I, I, I tried to hold him and try to rock him and all that. He's still crying hysterically. And then, and then a few moments later, I take him to Priscilla, and she's on the bed, and, and I hand him to her, and she starts singing, Sunshine, My Only Sunshine. And that was a song that she sang to him while she was pregnant. While, all through her pregnancy, she would sing, Sunshine, My Only Sunshine. And you can see it in the video that Boston, as soon as he hears her voice, as soon as he hears the familiar voice of mom, he stops crying and he's just totally comfortable and safe and secure in her arms. Amazing, amazing, amazing video. Psalm 22:10 says this, On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. The scriptures teach us that God is the God of both the born and the unborn. In other words, the unborn have just as much intrinsic value as the born do. Because God considers the baby in the womb human, as I have hopefully laid out for you, there is no other conclusion that I can come to other than God considers abortion murder. This is the part of the message where I have to say some pretty difficult things and use some pretty strong language. But I've got to do it. I've got to, as I hear my brother Justin always saying, I've got to share the tragic truth with you, okay? As tragic as it is, I have to share it with you. There have been over 60 million babies aborted in America since 1973 when, when Roe v. Wade uh, was passed. 60 million, that's 10 times the amount of babies, or the six, uh, 10 times the amount of, of Jews killed during the Holocaust. And New York City is the abortion capital of America. Over 64,000 abortions happen in our city, in our city, every single year. And by the way, most of those abortions are in minor, with, with minority children, Hispanic and black babies, most of those abortions. More African-American babies are aborted in New York City than are born. That is systemic racism right there at its finest, if you want to talk about systemic racism. As controversial as this issue is, we cannot sidestep it and hope it goes away because it's not going to go away. As a pastor, I must speak up. And as Christians, you must know what's going on and you must speak up. Amen? 
there are a lot of people who attend church on Sunday and consider themselves Christians who see nothing wrong with the sin of abortion. Others might say, I'm personally against abortion, but I support a woman's right to have one. Well, if you think about it, if you say, I'm personally against abortion, yet I support a woman's right to have one, it's like saying, I'm personally against child abuse, but I support the right for a parent to abuse their child. Or I'm personally against slavery, but I support the right for someone to own a slave. Is there any difference? Is there any difference? As harsh as that sounds, as tough as that is to say and hear, is there anything different? In 2019, we would never say the latter two. However, many Christians will say this about the sin of abortion. Sadly, in many ways, we are sacrificing our babies on the altar of convenience. There are some women and men that because a baby is inconvenient, they think abortion is their best option. In some cases, there are parents of teens who are forcing their children to go to an abortion clinic and get an abortion against their will because of the inconveniences and hardship they believe a baby will cause their child. They're like, I want my child to graduate high school. I want my child to to, to go to college. I want my child to start their career. And so I'm going to force them in in some occasions against their will to have an abortion because it'll be easier for them if they just abort the baby. Think about this. In the United States, it is against the law to intentionally destroy the egg of a bald eagle. Under the Bald and Gold Eagle Protection Act of 1940, deliberately destroying or even disturbing a bald eagle's egg is punishable by a maximum $5,000 fine and up to a year in prison. In Maine, it is illegal to take, transport, sell, or possess a pregnant lobster. It's it's serious. I mean, it's the truth. It's funny, but it's tragic, and it's the truth. Is it me, or is there something wrong in our nation that unborn birds and lobsters have more protection than unborn humans? There's something wrong with that, church. It's a lobster for crying out loud. As, as magical as a bald eagle is, it is a bald eagle. It is not a human. Let's look at a scripture in Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 through 25. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined, whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. God commanded the children of Israel to punish someone who killed a baby in the womb with the same penalty an offender would receive if they killed anyone else. Okay, If life and the image of God starts in the womb, which I clearly believe it does, then there is no other name for aborting a child. Whether you take a life inside or outside the womb, it is the same thing. God, not us, has the sovereign right over life and death. Right? When Job's children were killed by a wind that caused their house to collapse on them and all of his children died at once. When he heard the news of his children passing away, this is what he said. Naked I come from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. 
Job says that the Lord is the one who gives life and the Lord is the one who allows life to be taken. Okay? Life and death are His to be granted. It is not for us to grant life and death. We are not God, so we should not act like we are God. My next point is this. Just as there is grace for every other sin under the sun, there is grace for the sin of abortion. I said some hard truths, some hard things in my last segment there. So I want you to know that the grace of God is powerful enough to cover the sin of abortion or any other sin for that matter. Maybe there are some women in here today that you have had an abortion and you are living in guilt and shame and self-condemnation. Maybe you felt like you had no other choice. Maybe you felt torn by this decision. Maybe your parents pressured you or made you have one. Maybe you were scared to let anyone know that you were pregnant. Maybe you didn't feel like you could go to anyone in your church out of a fear of being ostracized or pushed out or condemned, and so you went to the abortion clinic because you had nobody in the church to go to. I heard this stat from my, my, my brother Justin, uh, 54% of women that, that, that have abortions done identify as Christian. Okay? And I believe that a big part of that is because the church has not been a refuge. The church has not been a safe place. It's like a woman, she has sex before she's married and gets pregnant, and then we act like we can't look at her anymore. We act like we can't love her anymore. We act like we can't throw her a baby shower. We act like it's somehow the baby's fault. Uh, that is pure evil. That is pure evil. If I'm going to call out one sin, I want to call out another sin. I'm going to call it all out, okay? The church cannot view women that are being pregnant, women that are carrying life in their baby. We cannot view them through the self-righteous, prideful lens in this way, a hateful lens. We've got to be a safe place where the mom can come to us and we can say, you know what, we will walk with you. We will help you. If you have financial needs, we'll be there for you. If your parents don't agree with it, you know what? We will come alongside of you and we will love on you and we will counsel you. We will be a listening ear. What we can't do is we can't say, get out of here and figure it out. That's what we cannot say. And for a long time, that's what the church's stance on it has been. Maybe you were the boyfriend of someone who paid for your girlfriend to have an abortion. And you're living with the guilt and shame of that. Sometimes we neglect the man in the situation. Sometimes the man feels like he has no choice because that's what he's told. It's not his choice. It's not his body. Right. And so sometimes the man is living with the guilt and the shame and the condemnation of uh, he wanted to father the child, but he had no choice in the matter. If that's you, I want you to know that there is grace for you. There is no sin that is too bad or evil or vile for God to forgive. There is no sin that the blood of Jesus cannot cover. I want you to know that. If you're hearing the voice of self-condemnation today, I want you to know that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus, if you have repented and asked God to forgive you, then listen, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, that is how far he removes our transgressions 
from us. You don't have to live with shame or guilt because Christ paid your penalty on the cross. Christ took your shame and your guilt and nailed it to the cross. So don't take it off the cross and wear it ever again. Ever, 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 ever again. It's on the cross. It's dead. He's won victory for you. He's given you freedom. So don't pick it back up and wear that garment of shame, that garment of self-condemnation. If there's anyone here today that has had an abortion, paid for an abortion, or has been involved in abortion, I want you to know that we don't look down on you. We don't shame you. We don't condemn you. None of that. None of that. We love you, and we are here for you. And I want you to know that. We will walk with you, and we will help you on your journey to healing. Some of you maybe even had an abortion uh, 15, 20 years ago, but you're still every day you're carrying guilt. Every day you're walking with depression and maybe some of you are being mentally tormented. I want you to know there is freedom. Yes. And we will not look down on you. We will love you through your journey of healing. And my last point is this. God wants us to join his gospel work in this arena. Yes. Here's what I want you to know. We are not just anti-abortion yes. or pro-life. Yes. I am more than that. I am pro-gospel when it yes. comes to this issue of life. I believe that Jesus died for both the unborn and the mama contemplating abortion. I believe that Jesus died for the parents who are pressuring their daughter to have an abortion. I believe that Jesus died for the father of the child who has zero intention of being involved or feels like he has no choice in the matter. I believe that Jesus died for the abortion doctor, the medical professionals, and the workers of the abortion clinic. I believe that Jesus died for all people. Okay, And as far as I'm concerned, abortion is not a political problem. It is a sin problem. And Jesus died for every single sin. He paid the penalty. He paid the price for every single sin, including the sin of abortion. Not only did Jesus die for everyone, he has a plan and purpose for everyone. For me, it's not enough just to have a mom not have an abortion. That's just the start. That is incredibly important, but I want that baby to be raised in a Jesus-loving home and grow up to fulfill the plan and purposes of God for their life. That's my desire. That's what I want. If you consider the Grace Place NYC your home, I want to invite you to get involved. I want to invite you to start praying and asking God what else you can do. I want to end with this scripture in Proverbs 31.8. It says this, Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. Very simple, yet powerful verse. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. There is no other group of people. There is no other race of people. There is no other class of people that are more helpless than the unborn, that are more voiceless than the unborn. And God commands us to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. An unborn child literally cannot speak. There is not another group of people on the face of the earth that is more defenseless and helpless and voiceless than the unborn. As believers, we must speak up for the unborn who cannot speak up for themselves. Silence, indifference, saying, I wouldn't personally do it, but I support the right. That is not enough, church. That is not enough. We must stand up. We must speak up. And God has stirred my heart for months. And I've been leading the way. There's a reason I haven't spoke about this for months. It's because I practice what I preach. And so I've been leading the way. My wife has been leading the way for 
years and years and years and years. But I just felt stirred in my heart to do more than just believe it in my mind and in my heart. I needed to step up and do something. And I want you to step up and do something.